Well, we are coming to the end of a long journey, uh, and what I would hope uh, in your experience has been a fruitful journey. Uh, Back in the heat of January, we started our study in Romans. It seems like a long time ago, not least climatically. As the series moves towards its conclusion, it is a good time to ask, has Romans achieved what God wants it to achieve in our lives? Now, a good way of answering this is to consider why Paul wrote the letter. Uh, What was his reason for writing? Now, an important principle in interpreting the Bible and applying the Bible is what's called the historical grammatical method. What a mouthful. What it means is this. Uh, We need to discern the author's original intended meaning in the text before we can then say, what does this mean to us today? So we're asking the question then, uh, what was the author's intent? What was Paul's intent in writing this letter to the Romans? At this point in the letter, uh, all the theological teaching has now been completed. And from chapter 15, verse 14 onwards, uh, many people just see it as an addendum, uh, just concluding comments, and they're a bit dismissive of it. But actually, this closing section contains vital clues as for the reason for writing. And there are several of them. Uh, Firstly, the first reason Paul had for writing, it is clear, was the pastoral care of the Christians in Rome. Although the church is generally in good shape, there are still some matters which have required his challenge. Now look at verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again. So, you see, uh, these Christians in Rome, uh, they are well grounded in the gospel. And yet he's applying the gospel to the current struggles they face. Uh, Particularly, of course, as we've seen, living out lives of unity and love, which overcome these Jew and Gentile divisions. So he acknowledges that they already know some of the points he's written to them about. What he's saying is he is reminding them of the gospel and how it applies in their situation in which they find themselves at the time. It's interesting that when we look more widely at the New Testament letters, we see this whole theme of reminding being key to the pastoral care to whom the letters were written. I look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 2. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Uh, look at what Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, the city of Philippi. Philippians 3, verse 1. Now, finally, my brothers, uh, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble to me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truths you now have. This is a timely reminder for us today. 
As a church, I think it is fair to say that we are, and I quote, firmly established in the truth, to use Paul's words. Ever since this church has been planted, there has been a faithful Bible teaching ministry. And many of us have diligently studied the scriptures for many years and are well grounded in the gospel. Yet just because we know it doesn't mean that we don't need to hear it again, to be reminded of it. Spiritual health and vitality requires us to reapply the gospel that we already know to the presenting issues in our lives at the time. So you see, there is great value in being reminded of what we know, in being reminded of the gospel truths so that they can go deeper into our hearts and our lives at the time. So, therefore, one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter was for the pastoral care of the Romans. He's reminding them of what they already know, the gospel, but he's applying it to their lives at the time. But if we look carefully, it becomes clear that there was also another pressing reason for Paul to write to the Romans. Remember, he has never met these Christians, and his letter serves as his introduction to them. He is presenting his message and his ministry. Of course, as we've seen in Romans, he presents this magisterial summary of the gospel. And he also lays out his credentials as an apostle and his ministry goals. Look at verse 15. Just picking up where we started, I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God has commissioned Paul. God has given him grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. As we know, Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. He was the key apostle in the founding of the Gentile church. And in his lifetime... He achieved more than any other. It's interesting, isn't it, that he describes his work amongst non-Jews here in terms of being a Jewish priest. Uh, He's lifting language from what we were seeing in Leviticus. Uh, He casts himself as a priest presenting an acceptable offering to God. And of course the offering is the Gentiles who have been redeemed through the gospel he's proclaimed. If you recall, way back in the midst of time when we were in chapter 1 of Romans, uh, he describes there rebellious humanity in terms of being lawless and disobedient. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 29, for example. Uh, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. But now, uh, through the proclaiming of the gospel, uh, the disobedient have become obedient. Look at verse 18. He says this, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. So you see what he's saying? In winning people for Christ, Paul 
is a bit like a priest presenting the offering of his converts to God. Now, through the gospel, they have been made holy and acceptable. And it is the offering that Paul now brings to God. Those he has brought to faith through proclaiming the message. When we come now to us today, uh, this is an encouragement for us in evangelism. Uh, Thinking back to chapter 12, uh, we talked there, of course, and we saw about how we can each, in view of God's mercy, offer our lives as an acceptable living sacrifice to God. But now we see something else we can offer. Uh, When we share the good news of Jesus, too, with people, uh, and we play our part in them coming to faith in God, we then have them to offer to God as an offering acceptable to him. So you see, evangelism is a great privilege, and it can be ours too today, as it was for Paul then. Yet when we come back to the letter, we see that Paul has some breaking news to share with the Roman church concerning his ministry. Uh, Paul has reached a pivot point in his mission career. Uh, He is approaching the end of an era. Uh, His third missionary journey is almost done, and with it, his work in the eastern Mediterranean is nearing completion. Uh, What Christ has accomplished through him over the previous ten years was truly momentous. Look at verse 19. He says this, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Irilicum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Uh, The kids' talk has stolen the thunder to a degree, but uh, here is the map again, uh, charting uh, the course of Paul's missionary endeavours. He had three missionary journeys over ten years, and in that time he effectively covered the entire eastern Mediterranean region. Uh, His sphere of impact uh, arcs from Jerusalem, down here of course, all the way through to Irilicum, which is uh, in the Balkans, what was former Yugoslavia. But now he says it is time to move on to fresh fields. Look at verse 23. Uh, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. What on earth does Paul mean when he says in verse 19 that he has fully proclaimed Christ in these regions. Isn't it rather strange for Paul to claim here in verse 23 that there is now no more place for him to work in the whole of the Mediterranean basin? Uh, Clearly, uh, there were still hundreds and hundreds of towns and villages which he hadn't been to, and thousands upon thousands of people who had not heard the message which he brought. How on earth can he say that his work is done? Uh, The answer lies in understanding his missionary strategy. Uh, We see when we read the book of Acts that Paul concentrated his efforts on the cities, uh, the large urban centres. He would go to a city, uh, he would evangelise it until uh, several house churches had been set up and they were stable and then he would move on. But what he would do is he would then consider his work in that city and that region to be complete. Uh, He would leave others to take out the message into the surrounding towns and the surrounding villages. So you see, his strategy was not just to evangelise cities, but particularly we see to evangelise 
unevangelized cities. Look at verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has, was not known, so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. Uh, he saw his specific calling as being a pioneer. He was a pioneer ministry. Uh, he was to boldly go where no Christian ministry had gone before. And this is the reason that Paul has not previously visited the Christians in Rome. Uh, to do so would have been building on somebody else's foundation. And his missionary strategy prevented it. Look at verse 22. This is why I have been often hindered from coming to you. You see, the gospel had already been proclaimed in Rome and the church had been established. But now he sees the door to a visit opening. It's time for something new. And having completed his work in the eastern Mediterranean region, he's planning to go west. He's off to sunny Spain. Hola. Verse 23. Uh, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. But Paul's motive for visiting the Roman church is far bigger, therefore, than just a pastoral visit. It's strategically important to his new mission. Verse 24 continues. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. You see, for his missions in the eastern Mediterranean, it was the church in Antioch that had been his sending and supporting church. And we have it again. Here's the, uh, the map again. And Antioch was just here. It was one of the Greek uh, megacities. Uh, and the church in Antioch was his sending church and supporter church for all of his endeavours uh, throughout Asia Minor. But uh, now he is moving on to a new area. And uh, he is moving now from the Greek world to the Latin world. And now he needs a new hub. He needs a new missionary center, a new base. And that base, he hopes, is to be the church in Rome. And therefore, he wants them to get on board with his mission. He wants to embrace the mission to the Gentiles. He's hoping that they're going to assist him on his journey uh, to provide food and funding, uh, means of travel, and maybe even travel companions. He's wanting to establish this ongoing relationship with these Christians in Rome so that they will become his ongoing supporter church. And it's not just uh, their practical support that he craves. He also hopes that they're going to partner with him in prayer support. Look at verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Uh, but what else we see in the letter is this. Uh, before he can start his new mission, he has to finish his existing mission. Uh, he's currently in Greece, and for this last year, he's been organizing a collection from amongst the Greek churches for the impoverished Christians back in Jerusalem. Uh, we read in Acts that uh, a famine was predicted in Jerusalem, and it may well be the famine which is now afflicting those Christians in Jerusalem. 
And so Paul has arranged a collection uh, from all the Gentile churches to now take to the Jewish Christian churches in Rome. It's got some poetic justice to it. So you could say that uh, Paul is a bit like the Bob Geldof of his day. He's organising the ancient equivalent of live aid. And now all that remains is for him to deliver the cash. Look at verse 28. So, uh, after I have completed this task and made sure that they have received this fruit, that is the Christians in Rome, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. And indeed, he now asks for the prayers of the church in Rome for that endeavour. Verse 31. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. So how were Paul's prayer requests answered? Uh, Was Paul delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem? Uh, Well, in one sense he wasn't, because of course he was subsequently, uh, after delivering the gift, uh, arrested and tried and imprisoned. But in another sense, he was delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. Because even though they wanted to, uh, they were never able to kill him. Uh, Three times he was rescued from lynching, uh, once from a flogging, and once from a plot to kill him. So did he then reach Rome? Well, yes, he did, of course, but not as expected. He was to arrive three years later as a prisoner. Uh, Did Paul ever get to Spain? Well, uh, we don't know for certain. Uh, The book of Acts concludes with Paul still incarcerated in Rome, and it's possible that he was released thereafter and resumed his missionary endeavours, including a trip to Spain. Uh, This would mean that then he would have been subsequently re-arrested, imprisoned and beheaded uh, during the persecutions of Nero. But we can't know for certain. Uh, It is speculation. What we do know for certain is that by some means the gospel did reach Spain. So God did continue his work of spreading the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. God fulfilled his purposes through his people, whether it was Paul or others. So in conclusion, uh, what does this mean for us today? Well, uh, Paul has presented the gospel. Uh, Some of its strands stand in stark challenge to the views of our tolerant society today. In the letter to Romans, uh, Paul presents his message. And the challenge, the first challenge is, uh, will we embrace Paul's message? Because some of his teaching is very unpalatable in modern society. Uh, He teaches, of course, that God is wrathful. But many people today feel uncomfortable with speaking of a God of wrath. They prefer instead, of course, to speak merely of a God of love. Uh, Paul, in his letter, speaks of God judging people by handing them over to their depravity. And yet, what do we see in our society today? Uh, Many people want to normalise depravity. And we've seen that in the whole discussion of same-sex marriage. In Paul's letter, 
He teaches that salvation is found in Christ alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet many today maintain that there are many other paths to God apart than Christ. Will we embrace Paul's message? Even the bits which maybe we're a bit uncomfortable with. The bits which don't sit well with our society today. You see, Paul's message is Christ's message. Uh, Paul is Christ's apostle, the sent one on behalf of Christ. Uh, He said in the passage today that he's described himself as a minister of Christ Jesus by the grace God has given me. Do you see what that means? These are not Paul's opinions. These are Christ's. People, therefore, are not free to pick and choose which parts of Paul's teachings they accept and which they quietly push to the side. So that's the first question uh, for us today. Will we embrace Paul's message? And the second question is this. Will we embrace Paul's mission? Uh, In one sense, uh, Paul was unique. He was an apostle called with a unique purpose uh, to spread and to found the Gentile church. So in some senses he's unique, but in another sense, Paul's mission is the mission for all of us if we're trusting in Christ. Because just as Paul carried the gospel to the ends of the earth, so also Christ commissions us and he goes with us to the very ends of the earth and to the very ends of the age. Look what he says in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now I know that we all know this, but as we've seen in Romans today, uh, there is merit of being reminded of this. For reminding is part of spiritual health and vitality. And so the question I would pose to us today is this. Uh, Paul was exhorting these Roman Christians to join him in his struggle and to strive with him in his mission. Will we also strive in mission? Uh, Will we join in the struggle? Let me ask some practical questions as I close. Maybe reflect on these in your own life and heart. Who are the unchurched in your lives whom you can reach out to? Uh, With whom are you intentionally building relational bridges? Uh, Are you motivated by the prospect of playing a part in God's purposes such that you can actually say that you're presenting people as an acceptable offering to him when they come to faith in Christ? What a great privilege that is. Here's another question. Have you stopped praying uh, for those whom you know are in full-time mission? Uh, How can you more faithfully and consistently support them in prayer? Uh, um, I'm on the CMS uh, prayer distribution list, and I get emails regularly uh, for people I know overseas. uh, And we also, of course, get the, the emails from our Presbyterian mission partners. So I have quite a lot of prayer material coming in from missionaries into my inbox Uh, but there's a danger that it just sits there and never actually get around to praying it Uh, one of the things I've found helpful is actually 
uh, with my boys, when I sit down in the evening and read the Bible with them, actually getting one of the prayer letters and telling them a bit about the story of what these people are doing, but then uh, praying some of those points with them. It's a good way to continue praying and processing and ensuring that I'm praying for the mission partners who I want to support in prayer. Uh, has praying for missionaries you know uh, fallen off your agenda? Is there a practical way that you can bring it back onto your agenda so that you pray for them more faithfully? Here's another question. Uh, has your giving to mission fallen on hard times? Is it time to reassess that aspect of your finances? To think, could I give more to mission? And also, uh, here's another question. Uh, are there ways that you could refresh and encourage uh, those who are in mission uh, full-time by writing to them or by sending them parcels? And the very final question we need to pose is this, because at the moment as a church, of course, uh, we are reassessing what our vision is as a church. And of course, today we've been seeing something of Paul's vision, his message and his ministry. And therefore, as we reassess our vision for our church, let us not lose sight of these key components to what is a healthy Christian vision and mission. Let me pray, Chris. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Uh, thank you for his tireless example, how he poured his life and his heart into uh, tireless ministry. Uh, that great... Uh, cost to himself, uh, travelling far and wide, telling uh, people about Christ, boldly going into places which were often hostile, uh, to places which had not heard uh, the gospel before. Uh, thank you for his courage and his example. Uh, thank you for his passion to share the gospel. And thank you for that undergirding uh, perspective he had of being motivated by having that delight of presenting, being able to present to you uh, his converts as acceptable offerings to you. So please, we pray, warm our hearts uh, even more to this mission. Uh, please continue to use us and show us how we can, we can be used in fresh ways to continue this wonderful endeavour of spreading the good news of Jesus to those who have not heard. Amen. Uh, our final song is a song which uh, resonates